Thank you, Connie, for setting our hearts and minds for worship this morning and being our guest musician as well here this morning. A little bit later during our, our offertory, we also have little Miss Reagan sharing her talents with us, so we have that as well coming. We at First Church would like to welcome you, whether you're here in person, listening on the radio, or watching on Facebook. We are blessed that you are part of our service and hope that our music and singing is uplifting. Our Bible study is revealing and our prayers impactful. We're also hopeful that God's love and presence is felt while you worship with us this morning. There's a lot happening here at First Church. Please look over the bulletin for items that may be of interest to you. A few items to note. Don't miss the praise and prayer night on Sunday, August 15th at 7 p.m. This time will include scripture, reading, prayer, and music led by a praise team. The praise and prayer night is open to all ages and the community, so bring a friend. Junior and senior high youth. There will be an end of summer splash bash. That's a bit of a tongue twister. How fast can you say? End of summer splash bash. It will be on Wednesday, August 18th from 7 to 8.30 at the church parsonage. Bring a towel and join me in the call to worship. It is taken from Psalm 92. It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name. O Most High, proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. To the music of the ten-string lyre and the melody of the harp. For you make me glad by your deeds, Lord. I sing for joy at what your hands have done. How great are your works, Lord. How profound your thoughts. Senseless people do not know. Fools do not understand. That though the wicked spring up like grass and all evildoers flourish, They will be destroyed forever. But you, Lord, are forever exalted. For surely your enemies, Lord, surely your enemies will perish. All evildoers will be scattered. You have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. Fine oils have been poured on me. My eyes have seen the defeat of my adversaries. My ears have heard the rout of my wicked foes. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruits of an old age. They will stay fresh and green. Proclaiming, the Lord is upright. He is my rock. And there is no wickedness in him. Now let us sing our opening hymn number 97. All hail the power of Jesus' name.
You may be seated. Let's have the kids come up for children's chat. Maybe we have some future Olympians here that need to start their training. From the starting line, on your marks, get set, go. Breaking the tape at the finish line. A gold medal is waiting for them. How are you guys today? Good? Are you going to be shy? Are you going to be shy? Oh, you have a suspender malfunction. I think I have some homing kids coming down from on high. We'll give them a second. Come on, Addy. Let's go. All right. Did you guys all have fun at the fair? Yeah? Yeah? Did any of you guys ever see these before? What are these? Olympic rings. Did you guys watch any of the Olympics? Did you like the Olympics? What's your favorite thing in the Olympics? Gymnastics. Yeah, me too. You like a lot of them? Yeah? You like the rowing, Benjamin? The running one is your favorite one? Luke, do you have a favorite part of the Olympics? No? What about you, Addie? Not really? All right. So, they're all aiming to win a medal, right? To run a race or row or tumble or play basketball or handball and all kinds of things I didn't even know existed in the Olympics I learned about this week. But did you know that there were... And soccer. Did you know that there were more than 10,000 athletes there at the Olympics? And they came from 200 or more different countries all over the world. And they estimate there was 6,500 hours of TV coverage. So if you missed it, that's, that's your fault. And they think that about 4 billion people watched it all over the world. That's a lot of people. That gets a lot of people getting excited about things. Now, are we running a race? Yeah, we're running a race. In Hebrews, it says, let us run this race with endurance, the race that God has set before us. We will do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Are you running a race to heaven? Yes. Are you running a race to heaven? Yes. We all are. We're all running that race to heaven. How do we get there? How do we win that race and get to heaven? Worship. Yes. Oh, on a rocket ship. Well, that could work too. That could work too. Or a jet. How about praying? What about praying? Can praying get you to heaven? Yes, it can. Maybe an airplane. What about listening and following directions? Can that get you to heaven? Yes, that can get you to heaven. Yeah, there are lots of ways that we can get to heaven. And we are running that race and sometimes we stumble and sometimes we fall because I saw some Olympians that that stepped out of bounds or or didn't quite 
weren't quite able to finish. But you know what? We all stumble. That's when we make mistakes. But we can still win the race. Because all we have to do is try and finish. Okay? So, come here. You're cold, dude. It's 80 plus degrees out. All right. So, I want you to pretend like you are running a race. I want you to pretend like you're running a race and your life is a race. Okay? And every day we have choices to make to get to the finish line, which is heaven. All right? So, we need to practice because the Olympians did not get to the Olympics without practicing. Right? Do you think they practiced just maybe a week or so? More. More? Like their whole life. So we have our whole life to practice and run our race so that we can get to heaven. Because that is the best medal we can get. So let's say a prayer. Father, help us to be faithful in running the race in which you have set before us. We pray that we will keep our eyes on Jesus and follow the example he set for us. Keep us from sin that will keep us from faithfully running our race. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Have a great week. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Maria. Thanks, kids. Seeing all of them up here as a reminder, and, and I know you kids probably don't want to hear this, but school will be starting soon here, just a few short weeks. So uh, one of the things that we can be praying for uh, during our prayer time are our students, our teachers who are already in the works of getting back to school and, and preparing for a new school year. Um, and certainly these last couple school years have been uh, a challenge in different ways, as I'm sure our teachers here can and our students can uh, relate uh, to. But praying for a, a no, another school year, praying for a safe and healthy school year without any interruptions. Um, also want to just remind you to be in prayer about our praise and prayer night. You heard Brian talk about that already during the announcements. Um, it's a great opportunity to gather and to worship God in a, in a way that's a little, little different than what we do on Sunday mornings, a little bit more relaxed and an opportunity to just really dedicate a block of time uh, to worshiping God through music, through prayer, through scripture reading. I'm really looking forward to it and really grateful that we have the opportunity to do that. So I want to encourage you to come and be a part of that next Sunday, August 15th at 7 p.m. here in the sanctuary. Also, just a reminder to the men in the church, uh, we, there's an opportunity to attend a men's retreat at the end of September. Uh, Faith Alliance has invited us to, uh, to join them in their men's, fall men's retreat. So if you're interested or just want more information, reach out to me. I'd be glad to fill you in. But there is some info in your bulletin. Uh, with that in mind, it is time to turn our attention to the offering. As Brian mentioned also, um, Ms. Reagan Hirschfeld will be offering the special music this morning. And our offering does go to collect the offering we collect this morning does go to support our radio fund. So I do invite the deacons to come forward at this time.
thank you, Reagan, for that beautiful uh, special music during the offering today. Let's continue to stand if you're able and continue to worship God through music this morning. Our next hymn is number 382, Be Thou My Vision. Amen. I invite you to pray with me. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you that we can gather here in this place and worship you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Lord, we thank you for uh, the the gift of technology and things like the radio fund and uh, the ability to stream on Facebook, Lord. Uh, Just new opportunities to gather together in different ways, though, though some may be separated from us physically for whatever reason that may be. We are so grateful that we can continue to worship together as a church family through those other, through those other means. And so today, Lord, we ask for your blessing upon the offering that we collected, that it would go to support the radio ministry, um, which has had an impact not only in the lives of our congregation, but also 
Lord, in the, in the larger community. Um, in the, my five years here, it's just been amazing to hear how that radio ministry has impacted people, uh, people that we may never meet or never run into. But thankfully, Lord, um, you have used that um, to proclaim your word so that your word may go forth um, and have an impact on people's lives. So we pray for your continued blessing in that area. Father God, we also worship you simply for who you are, um, your goodness, your grace, your mercy, your righteousness, your holiness, and your justice. In conversation this morning, I was reminded, God, that, that it is your love and your justice that goes hand in hand, um, and that we can know and experience both your love and your justice uh, through Christ on the cross and having a relationship with him because of the grace and the forgiveness we receive through that. So, Lord, we thank you for those things and pray, Lord, that we would not lose sight of, of all of who you are, both your grace and your mercy and your holiness and your righteousness. Lord, we also pray as we look forward to another school year, we pray for our students and our teachers that will be, get, will be beginning a new school year here soon. We ask for your uh, blessing upon them. We ask, Lord, for a normal school year um, and one in which people are healthy and well and there be no interruptions, Lord. And we just thank you for all of the work that our teachers and administrators and staff um, Lord, put in, in a normal year especially, but also in a year like this, in the preparations they make. We thank you, Lord, for them and pray that, your, that their work this year would be fruitful and effective. Lord, we also pray uh, for the praise and prayer night coming up. We ask for your blessing upon that time. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to do something a little bit new and a little bit different and ask, Lord, that, um, that our hearts and minds would be focused on you during that time. And Lord, I do pray it would be an opportunity for many to come and gather here in this place and worship you that night. So uh, for, for people young and old, uh, part of our church or not, Lord, I just pray that would be an opportunity for, for people to gather and to worship you um, in, in that way. Prayer list and the other burdens and concerns that people come into the sanctuary with this morning. Lord, you know what's on our hearts. You know exactly what it is we need. And so we lift up these concerns to you and ask that your will would be done in each of those situations. Lord, we thank you for your provision, that you are the good shepherd who watches over us and ask now that you would continue to guide us in our lives, in our work, in our families, in our communities, and especially, Lord, here in this church. We pray these things in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. The scripture reading today is from Revelations 3, verses 7 through 13. To the angel of the church at Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are... 
I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Thanks, Anita. Let's pray together again. Father God, as we turn our attention now to your word, I ask that your spirit would guide our hearts and minds um, and open us, open our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today. Uh, Holy Spirit, I pray that you give me words to speak, a message, Lord, that is uh, timely for us and also grounded here in the truth of your word and the promises that you make us. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. As I've shared at different occasions, as I, as I work on a sermon throughout the week, I often listen to, you know, I'll have some worship music or something playing in the background. And, and as I prepare different messages, sometimes there's a song that, that uh, really sticks out or there's a lyric from a song that really just hits home for a particular passage. Um, and just so you know, it's, it's, it's requiring a lot of my restraint this morning to not quote uh, the theme song to the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, um, being that this is the church, a letter to the church in Philadelphia. So I'm going to try to avoid sprinkling that into the sermon here today, but uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, but this, this letter here to the church in Philadelphia is very, it's, it's got a unique place here among the letters to the seven churches. This and the second letter that we read uh, from Revelation chapter 2 to the church in Smyrna, these were the only two letters of the seven that didn't have anything negative or bad to say to the other, to um, the people in those churches. Now, I don't know about you, but I love receiving praise, right? Who doesn't? Who doesn't like to have an attaboy every once in a while? It's encouraging. And, and as, as a, the youngest child in my family, I especially liked that when it came at the expense of my older siblings, right? If they got in trouble, but I didn't, that was even better, um, receiving praise. And that's almost like what's happening here, right? We, get, we go from one extreme to the other. If you remember last week, as we talked about the church in Sardis, uh, it was kind of the end of this progression of, of how sin and false teaching had affected these churches. They went from from holding on to it to tolerating it to being dead in their sin, right? Jesus had some pretty harsh words that we looked at last week. These people look alive, but they're truly dead on the inside. And so now as we turn the page to the letter to the church in Philadelphia, right, he only has good things to say. It's the pendulum has swung the other way, and he's going from nothing good to say to Sardis to only good things to say in Philadelphia, and so today, as we look at this, we're going to discover some words of encouragement for us. And, and they're words that we need, because if we're honest with ourselves, following Christ in today's world is not easy, is it? It's a challenge to try to live faithfully for Jesus in our workplaces, in our homes, in our communities. 
Um, and, and so just like the church in Philadelphia, uh, Jesus has some encouraging words for us here as well. And I do have to say that, that we, do, we, all, as we all need a bit of encouragement. Every once in a while we need an attaboy uh, to, to build us up and to keep us going. Um, we need to remember that, that we need to be challenged too. So as we hear these words of encouragement, I want us to, to also see them as, as, a, as a challenge. You know, how can we live faithfully for Christ in, a, in the world today, knowing what it means to follow him? So let's look, what, what are the three encouragements that Jesus has for the church in Philadelphia, and what does that mean for us? Well, the first thing that we see here is when all you have is faith, you have enough. Jesus tells the church in Philadelphia that they didn't have much strength, but they did hold on to his teaching, that they didn't deny his name, right? God often uses the weak things in the world to change the world. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. As Jesus is talking about, excuse me, as Paul is talking about the foolishness of the cross, that it, that it is the, the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Right from a worldly perspective, the cross didn't make sense. It seemed like defeat. It seemed like foolishness. But it is through the cross that God saves us and saves the world. And so at the end of that chapter, Paul reminds the Corinthian church this in verse 26. He says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. See, God often uses the weak. God uses those who have little strength. So that, And the reason he does that is so that we can learn to rely on him. Right? If we have, all, if we have everything we need in and of ourselves, we have no need to then rely on God. But if we have little strength, if we have little influence, if we have little energy left, then we have to rely on God. So we, so we need to remember that when all we have is faith, we have enough. God often uses the small things, the weak things, the things that are despised in order to change the world. Think about that first church gathering in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, after Jesus was resurrected and appeared to the disciples over a period of 40 days, he ascended into heaven, and Jesus told them to wait until the Holy Spirit came in power. And so there was a group of people, about 120 in total, Acts says, the Spirit came. Now look around this room here for just a moment. Right? I, don't, I haven't done a head count this morning, but, but 120 is, is pretty average recently for us, right? Think about that. A, a group this size is where God began to change the world through the church. That was the, the birth of the church right there. And it was through that group of people, those faithful believers that God ultimately changed the world. Remember, it's not the size of our faith that matters, but it's the one in whom our faith is placed. That's what makes the difference. Think, look, look how Jesus is described here in this passage. He is described as the Holy One. He is holy and true. 
those things are, can only be true of God. Right? If you think about that, right, none of us can truly be, de- can truly be described as holy and true, right? Because those are things that can only be true of God. He alone is holy. He alone is perfectly true. So Jesus is God. He's the eternal son of God, the second person of the Trinity. But he also has the keys of David, right? That was a re- that's a reference to this future king that God's people were waiting for, this, this person that would sit on the throne of David and rule righteously from that place. And he says those, he, he can open doors that cannot be shut and he shuts doors that cannot be opened which is a reference to his authority. Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth. And so as both God and Messiah King, Jesus is completely sovereign and in charge. As a human being, Jesus experienced the same sort of persecution and suffering that the Christians in Philadelphia experienced. But as God, he has all the authority and ability to vindicate their suffering in the end. You see, if, we just, if Jesus was just a person... Right? If he was just a human being like us, then we, we have no hope because, because he would have lived and died and that was the end of it. And if Jesus was only God, then he would not be able to relate to our experiences in this world. But because he is both fully God and fully man, we have a, a Savior that we can know that has both experienced what we've experienced, yet without sin, and also has the ability and power to then conquer sin and death and reign victoriously. Jesus alone is completely holy. Jesus alone is completely true. And Jesus alone will not fail. Right? What he says will come to pass. He is the faithful one who will never break his promises. Now think about the things that we often put our trust in in this life. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a spouse, a parent, a child. Maybe it's money in the bank account or investments that we have. Maybe it's our, our job and the way that that provides for our family. We, no matter what we put our trust in in this life, it will ultimately fail us in the end. Money will eventually run out. Jobs won't always be there. Relationships can break. But Jesus is the one true faithful one. He is the one who will never abandon us. And he is the one who will always be there for us no matter what. Now, I'm not saying that things of this life don't matter at all because they do. But we need to make sure that we're putting our ultimate hope and ultimate trust, not in the things of this world, but in Christ, in the Holy One, in the True One, in the One who has all authority in heaven and earth. I want to focus again on, on the little strength, right? When all we have is faith, we have enough. Some of you may be here today and you're discouraged. Maybe you have experienced doubt or hardship, right? Remember, it's not the size of our faith that matters. It's the one whom, in whom we put our faith. Jesus told a story once in Matthew 17:20. He says that faith as large as a mustard seed can move mountains, right? Mustard seeds are tiny, right? They're There's not much to them. But he says, if that's all you got, then the mountains will move. Because it's not about the size of our faith, right? It's not about our ability, right, to, to have some sort of perfect faith all the time. But it's about knowing the one 
who is able. It's about putting our trust in the faithful one, in Jesus. There's another story in the Gospel of Mark, which has always been one of, one of my favorites. It's, it's one of Jesus' many healing stories. He just comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration with his disciples. And when they reach the bottom of the mountain, there's, they are approached by a man and his son. This son had an impure spirit that had basically caused him to be an epileptic. And he'd had these seizures and would often harm himself. And the disciples who were down there weren't able to heal him. And so this man comes to Jesus and he says, you know, if you're able, please heal my son. And, and Jesus tells them that he must believe. And so the man turns to Jesus and he says, I believe, help me in my unbelief. And I think that is such a beautiful picture of what it means to trust in Christ. Because we're not always going to have things figured out. We're not going to have all of our questions answered all the time. Things aren't always going to go the way we want them to go. But we can still look to Jesus and say, I believe, help me in my unbelief. I trust you. I'm going to put my faith in you, even if I don't, even if I can't see the bigger picture, even if I don't completely understand. And that's what this church in Philadelphia was doing. They had little strength, little influence. Uh, they, had, they were running into troubles that we'll get to in just a moment. But they did the things that matter. They kept his word. They did not deny his name. And for those things, little strength is required, right? It, all it takes is simple, childlike trust and faith. So the first thing that we are encouraged with is that when we, all we have is faith, we have enough. But we're also encouraged that, that we can rest assured that nothing can separate us from God. And we'll see here that, that just because Jesus had nothing negative to say about these Christians in Philadelphia, that doesn't mean their lives were problem-free. Right? They were facing issues of their own. And from the, the context here, it seems like they were having issues with uh, the Jewish synagogue that was located in Philadelphia. It was very likely, like many other Christians in that time, they, they tried to continue to worship in the synagogue. You see that all the time in the book of Acts, right? Paul would go into the synagogue to preach and share the good news of Christ. They would often gather there to pray. But they got to a point eventually where, where these Jesus followers, these Christians, were no longer welcome in the synagogue. And so many of the Jewish leaders in that time would, would basically kick them out. They would shut the door in their faces and not allow them to participate. And so, and so that's probably what the uh, church here in Philadelphia was experiencing and why uh, they're reminded that Jesus truly can open the door. Right, so, so we need to rest assured that nothing can separate us from God. And that includes persecution, as we just talked about there. And we need to, this reminds us as well that we need to let Jesus deal with the opposition, it's not our job to, to seek vengeance. It's not our job to seek revenge. We need to allow Jesus to do that. It says here in, excuse me, the fan blew my pages there. It says here in Revelation chapter 3 in the, to the church in Philadelphia, it says, um, Jesus has placed before them an open door that no one can shut. And that he will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet. And it's in persecution. And, Jesus, and, and what Jesus is saying, he says, I will vindicate you in the end. 
It's not our job to seek that, but, but Jesus, in the end, will, will make that happen. We need to remember that those who persecute the church, whether they come from within or without, right, will not win in the end. Jesus will vindicate his people. He'll make the enemies come and fall down at their feet and admit that Jesus truly had loved them all along. There's a couple lessons to learn here within this point. Jesus will make everything right in his timing, not ours. We want, we want things to be made right immediately, right? We live in an instant gratification culture, and when things are wrong, when something bad happens to us, we want answers right away, right? We want to see vindication. We want to see things made right. And we may not see that happen in this lifetime. Many people suffer and die and never see God's promises fulfilled in this lifetime. But God is faithful and he will fulfill his promises. Reminds me of the end of the book of chapter 11 in Hebrews, which is this great chapter, this uh, great uh, description of faith in those who trusted in God. And over and over again, they are remind, that we are told examples of people who trusted God and things worked out well for them. But the end of the chapter closes with a reminder that there are plenty of people who trust God but don't always see vindication in their lifetime. Many suffered, many died, and it says that the world was not worthy of them because their, their focus, as Maria reminded us in the children's chat, was on heaven. The second thing we, le- we also need to learn, so Jesus will make everything right in his time. And second, we need to remember that, Jesus, that vengeance belongs to the Lord, not us. That it is not our responsibility to do that. Romans 12, 19 through 21 says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Right? We are, as Christians, we're not people who take matters into our own hands. We let God handle it because we trust that he is the holy, true, faithful one who will fulfill his promises. So persecution, whether from within or without, cannot separate us from God, but certainly not hardships or our circumstances either. It says here in verse 10, Jesus promises the church that he will keep them through difficult times. Now, this word keep can mean protect and guard. He's promising the church there that though they face difficult times, though they face tribulation and hardship, God will protect them and see them through it. Now, we may look at that verse on on the surface level, and one way we can understand it, that to keep us from the hour of trial may mean to remove us from it, right? And that's one way to understand that verse. But I think a, uh, a better way to understand that is not to remove us from our trials and hardships, but to protect us and guard us through it. Christians will experience tribulation, but Jesus will give them the strength to endure. He will protect his people. This, as I said, this interpretation seems to be more consistent with the rest of Scripture. We see passages like Jesus himself saying in Mark 13:20, speaking of uh, trials, the trials and tribulations 
He says, if the Lord had not cut short these days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. And then later in the same chapter, in verses 24 through 27, he says, At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels to gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. And so what we get in Mark 13 is this picture of not, not Jesus removing us from trials, not removing us from that time, but, but God protecting us and seeing us through it. Jesus does not promise to remove us from trouble, but to be with us, or, or even protect us from trouble, but to be with us in the midst of trouble and to give us the strength to endure it. He even told his disciples, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. And so what do we do when we feel like, whether it's, it's persecution or our circumstances or trials or tribulations, what is God calling us to do in those moments? To hold on, to hold on to him, to hold on to the gospel, to hold on to his teaching. Because Jesus is faithful and true, because he has all authority, he opens the door for us, the door to the kingdom of heaven, and no one can shut us out. And that brings us to our last point, that we belong to God. He tells the, the church of Philadelphia that he is coming soon. Now, soon can be a relative term, can it? You know, Jesus was speaking almost 2,000 years ago, and some may think that soon would have already passed. But we're reminded in Second Peter chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, that God's timing is a little different than ours. It says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. See what Peter's teaching us there? That, that Jesus will come again, right? And he will come soon. But... God's timing is different than ours. And the reason that Jesus hasn't come back yet is because he's giving us, he's giving all of us an opportunity to repent, to seek forgiveness, to turn to him. Because when he comes, then our opportunity will be too late. And as, as I've stated before, we need to always remember that when Jesus talks about his return, that forward-focused teaching on the end times is always meant to encourage our present behavior. Jesus speaks about his coming again in the future in order to encourage us to live faithfully now, to hold on, to hold on to him, to hold on to the gospel. And he says here, so that no one will take your crown. Right, as Maria already pointed out for us during children's chat, we're coming to the end of the Olympics here. And for those, the the crown that, that, Jesus is talking about here isn't a royal crown, but it's a, it was a garland crown, one that was often given to the winners of sporting events, just like gold medals are awarded at the Olympics. And so what Jesus is saying here, he says, he says no one can take that crown from you, not, a, not your circumstances, not persecution, but we need to hold on to it ourselves. The only thing that disqualifies us from the reward of eternal life is our own rejection of the gospel. Your circumstances can't take it away. Persecution can't take it away. No one else can shut the door that God has opened for us. 
but we need to make sure that we don't forfeit the crown ourselves. In Genesis 25, there's a story of Esau and Jacob, these twin brothers, right? And, and in, that, in, in that particular story, we see Esau forfeiting his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of soup. What a strange thing to do, right? Forfeiting something of immense importance for something just temporary and fleeting. Yet how many of us, how many of people that we know do the same thing with God? They forfeit their relationship with God. They don't seek God out. They don't are a distraction. So if we are faithful, if we continue to pursue Christ, he says that he will give us a crown. And then he says that we'll be made a pillar in the temple of God. Pillars are foundational. They're a permanent fixture. He says they will never again leave the temple. Again, think of the context of this passage. People who had been kicked out of the synagogue, who had not been allowed to worship as they had grown accustomed to doing. And Jesus is saying that he has a place for them. That he has opened a door that no one can shut. And by trusting him, by walking through that door, he'll make us a permanent fixture in his temple. And he says that he's going to write three things on them. The name of my God, the name of the city of my God, and Jesus says he will write on his own new name. What does that remind us of? It means that we belong to God. Right? We write our name on our possessions. We write our name on the things that we care about. And we want to make sure belong and stay with us. One of my favorite movies growing up was Toy Story. Right? If you guys remember, uh, Woody, the, the cowboy, one of the main characters, felt like he wasn't loved or appreciated anymore. He didn't feel like his owner, Andy, really cared about him because he had gotten a new shiny toy. But the thing that finally convinced Woody, reminded him of Andy's love, was that Andy had written his name on the bottom of his cowboy boot. And it was looking at that name written there in permanent marker that that helped Woody turn around and realize how much Andy truly loved him. That's what God does for us. He has written his name on us. He has given us his name. And he's written it in permanent marker, right? It's something that cannot be taken away from us. We belong to him. And that's a great reminder to bring us full circle back to where we started. Of It's, it's a great encouragement because we live in a world where it's not easy to follow Christ. There's challenges around every corner to remain faithful to him and to live for him. But if we know we belong to him, if we know that nothing can take away that crown, if we know that, that he has opened a door that no one can shut, it encourages us to then live faithfully for him now. So remember that as we go from this place. Whatever challenges await you as you step out the doors of this sanctuary, or wherever you are listening on the radio and watching on Facebook, know that if you trust in Christ, that nothing can take that away, that you belong to him, that nothing uh, can separate us from him, and that all we, if all we have is a little bit of faith, we have enough. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you. We thank you, Lord, that it is in you and through you that we can live victoriously. 
not because of who we are, what we've done, but because of who you are and what you have done for us. Help us, Lord, to never forget that. Help us to remember that you are holy and true and faithful. And help us, Lord, to live in light of that reality. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So we close our service of worship today. I invite you to stand and sing our closing song, Victory in Jesus. It is hymn number 473.
Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You may go in peace.